0: Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton, and I am one of the pastors here at the Vine. And I just, in case you don't know, by the way, you know, I walk up here to to pray after the students. I'm up here like wiping tears away, and I, this is, I've, we laugh because like I think standing on stage at church watching our children is the time that I usually get teary-eyed, right? And talking about... But it's because we're talking about who God is. It's because we're talking about the faithfulness of who God is. And we have children and students not performing, but leading us in that. That is beautiful. And so I'm thankful to you as parents who make that effort um, so that they can be a part of that. I'm thankful to all of our leaders uh, because this helps us Look to Jesus together. And I don't know about you, but I need little children helping me do that. because there's a simplicity to it. And as we say growing up, we can sometimes overcomplicate mashed potatoes, right? (laughs) There's a simplicity to it. That we look to Jesus together. And you know, all this stuff that goes on around... um, you know, around the holidays, we're sitting here and we're talking about this. We, in the church, we sit and we say, the king is here. Jesus is here, the king. Now, I want to take you out of that, out, out of where we're sitting right now for a minute. And let's say you're walking through the grocery store. You don't know me. You've never met me. You don't know I'm the pastor of a church. And I walk up to you in the grocery store and I say, your king is here. You've got a new king and he's here. What are you going to think about of, of me at that moment? Probably that I'm a little crazy, right?
1: And then if I go on and I'm like,
0: "Hey, your king is here, and, and he's going to tell you how you need to live. He's going to tell you where you, you know, he's going to lead you and where you need to go. He's going to going to help you, you know, tell you the money you can make and when you make that money, you know, he's going to tell you you got to be taxed on that money." And we're going to be like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" We fought to get away from that. Don't you remember the history? <laughs> No taxation without representation. You know, we as Americans, when we hear king, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. And so when we come to the church, what I would also argue is that while we celebrate and enjoy this Advent season, a lot of times we still kind of like, yeah, this is great. This is good as long as I believe what God is doing is good for me. But then we come to a place and we're like, whoa, whoa, I don't want that part, God. Hold on, this baby king, that means I've got to submit my life to him. I've got to ask him to keep growing me and changing me. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. I don't think I want that. This morning, I, what, what I'm going to ask you to do several times throughout this message, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what it is. And I'm going to ask you throughout this message to be asking God to give me faith to believe that Jesus is king and that, is, and that that is good for me. Give me faith to believe that Jesus is king and that that is good for me. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking as we start this. Well, yeah, of course, Tim. I've been a Christian for years. I believe that. I would argue that we all need to remember that, relearn that every single day of our lives. Because you are going to face something today where your tendency, and we'll talk about why that is, but your tendency is going to be to not have faith to trust Him. Maybe not in the big things. Maybe it's just in something small. And it's going to play out in a lot of different ways. So the passage that we're going to look at today is Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. I'm not going to read it right now because we've just read the whole thing. Um, if you were paying attention, you've heard it read. If not, um, as, as we went through with the, the kids leading, um, if not, you can turn in your I still encourage you to turn in your Bibles there, follow along. We'll read some verses um, from there as we go. Um, but but what we're going to see, what we're going to start with is kind of the context of the passage. And that context is this proclamation that the King Jesus is here. All right, we're going to see who made it and and all the the craziness that goes with that. So let's look to that together. Um, The King Jesus is here. Now, again, for us today, we hear that and we're like, yeah, it's Christmas. Of course we're talking about that. But for those that Matthew was writing the story to, they're not going to get that. They miss it. And, and it's not the case for those who are in the middle of the story. Um, the, that is the wise men. That is the, the people of Israel. The religious leaders of the Jews. Herod the king. They didn't get it. Now to be fair to them, there had been 400 years of silence since the Lord had spoken to his people because of their disobedience. So there's been 400 years of silence um, during this whole time. And so this idea that this baby was born, other than a group of shepherds and who they told, this was kind of a non-event. This baby had been born. There was no story. They They didn't get that a simple baby born to a young tradesman and his wife in Bethlehem mattered. Now... Here somewhere around two years after the birth of Jesus, during the reign of Herod the king, these wise men, these wise guys, so to speak, from the east show up. And they show up first to the guy who's ruling over the Jews and the Jewish people and their leaders. And he, and he comes, or they come. And the message is, your true king... Has been born. The good king. The one who will fulfill the prophecy from years before that your religious te- um, leaders are teaching about. He's here. Now, What do you think the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders are thinking at that moment about these guys? I think they're probably thinking, who do these guys think they are? Who do these foreigners think they are telling us that our king is here? Don't you think we would have known that? So who are they? Who are these wise guys? These wise men? We don't actually know much. Um, the reality is, here's what we know. We know they're magi, which literally means great or powerful ones. We know they're from the east, and what that, the significance of that is, um, that means they're not from the people of God, they're coming from another land. And um, we know that they, um, or the, the Jews would have called them Gentiles, and it's very likely um, that they were more, there were more than three of them, so if you saw this morning, well, we got a lot of, a lot of three kings, and um, there are probably more than three of them anyway, and it was a, more like a small band of travelers um, traveling together. And then it's highly likely that their presence alone in Jerusalem, in, and, um, in Jerusalem, as they come in, that these their presence alone, these guys who are not from around here, was causing quite a stir. And so now, just kind of reset the scene. It's a group of foreigners who seem to be very important people coming into a city and asking. The people there, hey, where's your baby king? And again the people of Jerusalem are like, what are you guys talking about? They had no idea. This king had been prophesied about to them in many ways in the Old Testament, and they had missed it. They missed the one who was going to be a king different from any earthly king that had ever lived, even though he had been promised. And we see that when Herod goes um, to the Jewish leaders in verse four to ask where the Messiah the Christ, the one who was promised, was to be born. Look at verse four. It says, "In assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born." what was Herod really asking? What I think Herod was really asking was... Where is the one that the people are looking to who's going to try to overthrow the Romans and restore the Jewish nation? Restore the nation. Where is he to be born? Or said another way, where's the one that's going to threaten me to be born? And in their answer in verses 5 and 6, the Jewish leaders quote the prophecy from Micah 5 verse 2. You can look at that later, but it's actually right here in the passage, verses 5 and 6, and this is what it says. They told him, they answered him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, I do want to pause on that a minute, because I told you that's from Micah 5.2. And when it was originally, um, this prophecy was originally given, um, it was talking about the Assyrians who had come and who had captured Israel, and it was talking about um, freedom from that. Um, but I also want to remind you of prophetic perspective. This is just a good opportunity to pause and think about that for a minute. Because when the prophets wrote, um, they, were, they were writing about something that, that was there immediately. But often, um, as they're writing that, it's not just a prophecy in the immediacy. There, there's more behind that that just keeps unpacking unfolding. It's kind of like we, we lived in Utah and when you were riding up, driving up to the mountain range, you could see a mountain, right? But as you drove up into the mountains, anybody that's ever been out there, as you get up in the mountains, what happens behind those mountains? There's more and more and more and more mountains, right? And so it's the same way when, when there's a prophecy in the Old Testament. It's like, here this is, and then we, we see it fulfilled, but then we, we realize when we get to the New Testament, Matthew, who's writing to a Jewish audience, is saying to them, no, let me show you that it meant even more than that, more, more than you've realized. And so that's what he's doing here. And he's trying to draw draw them into that. And he's trying to show them this has much more implications than just um, you as the people of Israel. This has spiritual implications, big spiritual implications. But even as the leaders quote it, they miss those implications. They miss the fact that this one, this king who will be born in Bethlehem, is to be the one who is the ruler over Israel. He's to be the one who will shepherd his people. Now here's the crazy part. They should understand this imagery of the shepherd. Because all throughout their history, God spoke to them about being their shepherd. Right? This idea of a shepherd king. When you think about the Old Testament, what do you think is the most, uh, by a survey, what is the most well-known passage and most often quoted passage in the Old Testament um, about a shepherd? Psalm 23, right? There are people who are not even followers of Jesus who can quote it because we hear it so often. It's, it was this imagery that was so clear and so, um, so regular um, in their history. And that shepherd king, God as the shepherd king, was meant to protect his people from the ones who tried to destroy his flock. He would nourish his sheep. He would guard his sheep. He would take care of the sheep. And then we see that imagery changed over to when Jesus comes, right? And Jesus is called what? He calls himself, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus takes that imagery on himself. And he does that so that he can bring hope to the people because he was the one who is going to make peace with God. Right? Do we understand that when we're not a follower of Jesus, our biggest enemy is God? We need peace with God, but that's what Jesus brought. So we need, he brings peace with God. And then he brings promise to defeat all his and our enemies. But see, for the people, it wasn't the enemies that they expected him to defeat. He was ultimately defeating the one who would seek to destroy them spiritually. They didn't even realize that they needed this peace with God. They didn't realize That the big issue was the spiritual battle going on, the spiritual enemies that they had, the death that they had apart from Jesus. And so the author, Matthew, he's trying to show those who are reading these the, the Jewish people. He's trying to show them that these things they're looking for have been fulfilled. But the religious people, they, you know, they had gathered all the information. These were the religious people, the teachers. They had gathered all the information. They had studied it. They had analyzed it. But they were missing the reality that the promised king had been born. They missed that the promise had been fulfilled. That's the religious leaders. And here you have, in stark contrast to the religious leaders, these Gentiles, these outsiders, these magi. These important people from another land, they had very little information. But it says that they believed that he was king and they came to him. They trusted that even though they did not fully understand that this Jesus being king was a good thing. So I'm going to pause on that for a minute this morning. Do you believe that Jesus is king? Do you believe that? You know, I can answer that question always unequivocally, yes. But there's a follow-up to that. Do you believe that that's a good thing? I've got to ask him for faith to believe that every day. When I'm interacting with you who are hurting. When I'm interacting with what we see in the attacks against the church, against God's people. I've got to ask him for faith to believe that every day. And I'd also ask you, if you're in here today and you don't believe that Jesus is King, the one who is ruler over all things. The one who came to the world to make things right and new. To save his people who are sinful and broken. To bring peace with God for those that have been separated from him. To bring hope that there's not, this is not all there is. If you, if you don't believe that this morning, then I'd like to ask you, what information or what experience do you believe you need To believe this is true today. To believe that he is king. And that is a good thing. I'm not telling you you're going to even know the answer to that right now. I just want to encourage you to think about that. What is it you're looking for? And then I also want to encourage all of us. If we are a follower of Jesus or if we're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to encourage all of us to ask this. Ask him to give you faith to believe that he is a good and gracious and loving king. And that that is good for his people. Don't sit around and try to muster that faith up on your own. Ask him. Ask him each day. And then what do you think is going to happen if he begins to give us that faith? What do you think might change? What response do you think you might have? Maybe thankfulness, gratitude, hope, joy. I would say yes. And I think we see it all summed up in this passage. There's two responses, but the first one is that we worship him. There's th- three ways I see that we worship him in this passage. So look back at verse two. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They st- saw the star, um, and so and they they didn't have a lot of information. But they believed. They believed, and God used the information that they that they had to cause them to believe that the King is here, that Jesus is this King. Second thing they do is they worship Him by pursuing Him. Again, verse two, um, they it says they saw His star and they have come to worship Him. They didn't simply just believe and then do nothing. It says they believed, their hearts were moved, and they went to find him, to pursue him, to get to know him, to worship him. And they went to find him where they, where they knew he would be. How do we pursue him? Where do we find him? It's not in a little stable in Bethlehem or in a house at this point in Bethlehem. Right? Where do we find him? He tells us. We find him as his people gather together and we look to Jesus together. We find him in his word. We find him in prayer. We find him in um, in singing and celebrating together. We find him by pointing out the truth of the gospel over and over and over again to one another. But you know what's crazy about that? We say we want to find Jesus, but how often do we neglect those things where he says he is? It says when they found him, though, verse 10, when they saw the star, it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The kids nailed it, right? <laughs> with great joy a minute ago because it's, it's this, this idea is enormous joy, mega joy, great big old joy. right? Great joy. And then they worshiped him thirdly by honoring him. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Once they found Jesus, these important men, men who likely thought pretty highly of themselves, they fell down before they fell down before a toddler, and they worshiped. As king, how'd they worship him? What'd they bring? They brought gold. Gold was reserved for a king, they brought incense. Incense was used throughout all the the cultures in the the ancient Near East and the surrounding cultures. And it it was used for the purpose of um, worshiping the deities, praying to the deities. So so Israel wasn't unique in that. And so these guys from the East, they're going to see a king. uh, They're going to to pray to a a king. Um, They bring incense because they're, they're acknowledging who he is. And they're praying to him. They recognize something that others don't seem to see. Then they also brought myrrh. What was myrrh used for? There's two places, two things I'll tell you. When Jesus is on the cross and he's in tons of pain, what does it say they brought him? They brought him wine mixed with myrrh to deaden the pain. And then the other thing we know about myrrh is that myrrh was used as uh, used in the embalming of bodies. And so, what they're indicating here, in some way, shape, or form, they understand some version of what this little toddler baby king Jesus was going to do. The only explanation I have for that is God showed it to them. They believed and they worshiped him. Jesus, again, he's a toddler. He's done nothing for them yet. But they worship him because of who he is. Because he is the king. The king, the savior, the hero. And if we believe this about Jesus, we will begin to worship him even when we're not sure how the things he's doing are good. If we only worship Him for what He's done and not for who He is, then we're worshiping God based on our circumstances, based on our qualifications of what makes Him worthy of our worship, worthy of our submission to Him. But when we worship Him for who He is in addition to what He's done, those things do go together. He's done what He's done because of who He is. And when we worship Him for that, we begin to have our hearts changed. To look to Him as our Savior, as our rescuer, as our hope. We begin to realize that He is for us even when it doesn't feel like it. But when we don't ask Him for that, we respond in a different way. When we don't say, give us this Faith to believe that he is king and that is good for us and, and, and respond to that in worship, we respond in a different way. And I think we see that in this passage as well. And that is that we fear what this means for us. Now, you may think, well, I don't, I'm, I'm a Christian, I don't fear. I think most of you know the absurdity of that. But the reality is, I would claim that every single one of us probably even every day, operate somewhere in some level of fear. But let me explain why I think that. Let's look at what I think the passage teaches us about that. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod's the first place we see the fear. The, magi, the, the men have come, the magi have come to worship the one who's been born king of the Jews. Herod's threatened. His power is threatened, his authority is threatened, and so what does he do? He tries to take control. Now let me tell you a little bit about Herod for a minute. This is Herod the Great. He um, became king in 40 B.C. In 25 B.C., Herod, um, his people, there was a great need among the people. Herod melted down, secular historians tell us, he melted down a lot of his possessions, and then he distributed the gold to his people to care for them, to provide for them. Um, He's said to be the first one to bring peace and security in the land of Palestine um, during this this, um, time of history. And so he took care of his people under his rule. But he had one major issue. And that is, is that when his authority was threatened, he had this notorious paranoia um, about all those people around him. And so if he thought someone wanted his throne, or if someone was ever questioning him, he had a very, very simple solution. He killed them. That includes his three sons, his wife, and his mother-in-law. So that's who we're dealing with here. That's who we're working with here. And he's the one that hears that someone is going to be born, or someone has been born who will challenge his rule. And so he develops this devious plan. And every time I read this passage, I think about the Grinch. Right? And that he develops that plan. And now from now on, I'm going to think about Pastor Mark. Um, Herod asked the religious leaders in verse 7, where is he to be born? It says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained for them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, come tell me so that I may worship him too. He's trying to find out where is this king born so that he can go And he can eliminate the competition. He's willing to do whatever he can to hold on to power and authority that he thought he had, that power and authority that was threatened. And here's the thing. We do similar things as well. We do similar things when we do not trust that Jesus being the king is a good thing. When we don't want to submit to his leadership, to what he says is good. Think about that for a minute. When you don't trust Jesus as the king, how do you try to take control? Maybe it's lying, manipulating people to get what you want. Maybe it's the other side of the coin of control and it's actually apathy. Well, I really can't do anything about this. I can't figure out how to control it. So I'm just going to decide to distance myself from it and not care. And then we see another fearful response in our passage and that's from the people of Jerusalem. The people's fear if I could sum it up, it says in verse 3 that they were all of Jerusalem, was troubled as well. And, and here's what the fear comes down to. For 400 years, and there's been silence. These people, the, these um, other people have continued to rise up, saying that they are the Messiah, the promised one. They gain a group of followers, and what ends up happening to, the, to them, do you think? The rebellion is squashed out, and they die. Right? The leaders on all those who follow them. And so for these people, these, these Jewish people, when they hear this, oh no, here we go again. There's another one. And what happens if people, if we start to follow them? Well, this is going whether we follow them or not, now there's going to be discord. Now there's going to be, you know, right now we have peace and security in Palestine. Herod's done a good job with this. Now it's going to be chaos again. It's going to be a mess again. And then also the people, I think they're looking at Jesus, who's born of this humble beginnings to a couple of nobodies. And they're like, well, that that dude certainly can't be the king we're looking for. See, they began to define what it should be. What it needed to be for them to follow him. They wanted to dictate who and what the Messiah, the King, would be. And the reality is, as followers of Jesus, even those who believe He is King, we still struggle in our hearts. We still struggle in our actions because we want to be the ruler. We want to be the ruler in our lives. We want to even maybe be able to tell God, hey God, this is what you need to do To make me happy before you. And so we wrestle with fear. We wrestle for the desire for things to go like we want them to. And we think we should be able to control the circumstances to get the outcomes we deserve. And so there's, whether that comes out and we, we try to do it through authority, we try to do it through keeping order, we try to do it through uh, perfection, like everything's just got to be perfect and everybody sees this as perfect in every area, or we try to do it through stability, we just got to keep things stable, or we try to do it through, hey, we got to make, just have a lot of fun. Some of our ladies have been going through a study uh, by Jen Wilkin called None Like Him. And in that study, it says this, Jen Wilkins says this, when we reach for control, we announce our belief that we, rather than an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, infinitely good God, should govern the universe. When we reach for control, we announce that we, rather than God, know what's best. In the world out there, but also in our own lives. And so we come back around this morning. Will you ask God to give you the faith to believe that Jesus is king? And to believe that it's a good thing. As he begins to do that in our lives, as he does it again and again, he will create this candle we've talked about today of hope. He will create hope. He will show us glimpses of hope. You know, this world is not all there is, but he has us here for a reason. Every one of us. And we are part of both seeing hope. We see hope when relationships, we see restoration in relationships. We see hope um, with these glimpses of hope when we see people being healed or God's provision through unexpected ways. We see hope when we see someone walk through something extremely difficult and ultimately being healed in heaven. We see hope When we talk about what God has done to bring peace between himself and his people. This story, the rest of God's word tells us that the King Jesus is here. It tells us that he is coming again. Will you ask Him today, again, one more time, to give you faith to believe that He is King and that that is good for you? We know from Hebrews that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Ask Him to give you that faith today. I'm going to give you a few minutes to do that as we prepare for the Lord's table. And then I'll bring us back together after we've had a few moments before the Lord. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at The Vine CC. Have a great week.